welcome to the first episode of Floor 9 of 2019, live from CES. We have with us today, Christina Andronli. Hi, everyone. Angel Mendoza is back on the mic, finally. Hello, hello world. And of course, we have Adam Simon, our director of strategy. Hello, hello, hello. Well, thank you all for uh, getting up early and wrapping up CES with me behind the mic. Uh, so just to start off here, I think, Adam, coming from you and Christina as our strategy team, I guess, what were those like the top three or four trends that you guys were seeing um, on the show floor uh, this year at CES? Uh, I think the the big thing was uh, that we've been talking about is hashtag we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, there was a lot of stuff on the CES show floor, as there always is, that's very future focused. But, uh, you know, the headlining technologies that were, were really being discussed were things like 5G and 8K TVs. And a lot of this stuff is just not really ready for prime time. There's a lot of other things that have to happen before most consumers are going to be able to reap the benefits of those things. This year, 5G is probably going to be mostly targeted at home users. Um, and we're really excited about that because here in the U.S., obviously, most people only have one or two choices for their home internet access, and sometimes they're actually really terrible. So we're really excited to see... AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon come into the home internet space with 5G, but it's going to probably be a while before most people have access to that service, let alone 5G on their phones. Right. And, and, we, and we know like before CS, over, over the holiday break, Qualcomm had their, their annual summit in, in Maui this year, and they had put on their 5G demo, and uh, that didn't go quite, quite that well for them. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the speeds were fine, but they were not really any more impressive than what you can get from LTE on in, in when you have a good connection. Right. So I think you know, between that and 8K, there's literally no 8K content. We're already struggling with 4K, and there's a lot of you know there is 4K content, but there's not not everything's 4K yet. Um, so bringing out 8K TVs, they're really just looking for an excuse to get you to buy a new TV. But it's going to be years before there's 8K content. And I guess with that, do you see people just skipping 4K TVs and going straight to 8K TVs? That was my one question. My one question is: we knew that TCL, which is a Chinese manufacturer who has had one of the top-rated 4K TVs, which you can get for under $1,000. They've been top-rated for years now. My question was, we knew TCL was introducing an 8K TV, and I wanted to see if they were going to be super aggressive in that pricing to try to get people to skip 4K. But they announced it, but they didn't actually announce a price or a ship date. So we don't know. Um, I do suspect it will be competitively priced, because that's sort of how TCL rolls. But uh, will it be cheap enough that people will just say, oh, you know, maybe it's $1,500 or even $2,000. Maybe I'll just skip 4K and go straight to 8K. And at least that way I know this TV will be sort of future proof for a while. But I don't, I'm not, I'm not confident that's going to happen this year. That might be more of a 2020 story. 2020 thing. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Sony, not only did they not introduce their 4 or 8K TVs, but they also announced that they're going to start investing in cataloging or focusing on higher resolution videos or movies moving forward i missed that announcement so maybe (laughs) possibly they did announce a new partnership with fandango now to a a new video format called on the name it's imax something it's something it's like basically the imax certified version of uh, video and audio that would be a rival to dolby's technologies so they are investing in obviously higher quality video content but no one is willing to commit to a timeline for 8k content i don't i just don't even think that a lot of content is being produced in 8k at this point uh, the cameras are still expensive, and a lot of them are big and heavy. So, uh, you know, there's there's some production challenges there as well. Right, Christina, how about yourself? You know, looking at the show floor, you did a lot of scouting as well. You know, what were some of the trends that you were seeing out there today? I think just to add on to that 5G conversation too, I think 
you know, our phones will get faster. We'll be able to be in, you know, tight spaces, but still have cell reception, whereas that's kind of a challenge these days. But I think where 5G is really going to shine and make a huge impact on consumers' lives are with things like entertainment and autonomous vehicles and augmented reality and these kind of more advanced computing that only comes with those faster speeds and higher capacities. Uh, We saw so many autonomous concepts on the show floor, uh, especially in the North Hall. Um, Last year, we had seen the e-pallet from Toyota that was an autonomous grocery delivery car. This year, what we saw was essentially e-pallet at every single manufacturer's version of what that e-pallet could be, whether that was groceries or whether that was a movie theater on wheels or whether it was a cafe. Like Adam said, though, I think it's hashtag we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. There will be autonomous pilots in market this year. We'll continue to see those ramp up. But I think the way that 5G will drive forward and enable some of those more immersive in-car experiences, I think, is something that we saw and will continue to see as the year rolls out. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I think I, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, Yes, we are getting it, like ahead of ourselves. It's kind of like like that. There's a theme there, but I think that's the beauty of CES is to um, understand that this is coming down the pipeline, and you know this is why we're here to uh, you know let all our listeners know that maybe it, it'll be an extra year or two, but you know these these are the things that are going to be changing consumer behavior, how we ride, how we consume content, uh, and it's going to be important for you know our clients to understand what are these new media moments that are going to be happening that they can you know uh, capitalize on. And I think the beauty of CES too is it feels like the sandbox, right? Consumers see the things that come into market or the pilots that come into market that we see on the CES show floor. Uh, And I think the big push forward is when consumers start to tinker with things and we start to see what those more compelling use cases are and how consumers are actually using these technologies and how business models adapt around that. I think the connected home is another key trend where we saw that pretty prominently Uh, in years past. I can't, I don't even remember seeing one appliance that hasn't been connected in years past, right? Everything has a sensor, everything's connected to the internet and that's great. But, uh, the next evolution of that is for appliances and, uh, the different parts of the home to speak to each other and actually work in harmony to drive value for consumers. So things like the Whirlpool, uh, smart screen that connects to the smart oven is a good example of where we're seeing consumers having taking up smart screens in the kitchen, for example, and that being kind of a key area of exploration there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that technology combined with the appliance is really driving expectations forward there. Yeah, I think, and I think it's like that, that's a great example of what Whirlpool is doing with KitchenAid is that we've finally seen like an iteration on the Amazon uh, Echo Show that has now really been suited for a niche, and that is the kitchen. It's grease proof, it's splash proof, it's meant to be used in the kitchen um, and with dirty hands. And I think finally it's like that is, you know, we've reached a point of maturity in the market where that is like the right product for like the right, right room in the home. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that throughout the home as these Echo products and Google Assistant products become more mature. It's like they're finding, which, what what are the form factors that are needed to make them that much more beneficial to the consumers in the home? Yeah, I think it's really about figuring out what the actual desired use case is and what the, the sort of service level component of these connected home devices really is. One example was that Kohler announced a connected toilet, and this is the second year that they brought a connected toilet to CES. It's a big year. Uh, it's a big year. <laughs> there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of joking around because uh, the um, the person introducing it called it a fully immersive experience when they were introducing the toilet on 
on stage, which was a lot of early CES humor. Um, <laughs> uh, and the problem is that the connected toilet can, it, it, you know, it's heated, it can adjust the temperature, it can sync with the lights in your bathroom and stuff like that and the music that's playing in your bathroom. But that is really, no one really needs that. No one's really that needs that kind of uh, service from their toilet. And what people want in a connected toilet is something that's going to help them um, with their health and fitness and, and diet tracking. Um, and we're not there yet. Um, Kohler, you know, doesn't have that capability in-house, obviously. I think there's opportunity at some point for them to partner with uh, a, uh, someone, another brand who does have that capability and can help with that kind of analysis. But the other, another product that they announced that, that actually does have, is a little more thoughtful and does have that connection to what you might actually want from it was the kitchen faucet they announced, which can sync with Alexa and Google. And you can say, so you can say, Alexa, I need a cup of cold water and it will measure a cup of cold water for you right out of the faucet without needing to use a measuring cup. So that's, I think, interesting seeing both of those come from the same company because on one side, it was a, I think, fairly thoughtful idea of what would you want if you're controlling your kitchen faucet by voice. And on the other side, it's just like, oh, well, we can connect this toilet to the internet, so let's do it. Right. I know, like looking at, you know, talking about Amazon and Google, um, the I, again, like we saw, like 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 the first entry of the home was through like these little connected speakers, and now, you know, like like they're opening up their platform to be integrated into into the home itself. So like the products themselves. So you know, I think that was a first step in through like the like smart speakers, and then we're going to see everything that you have in your day to day home, whether it's like a connected mirror or fridge. You'll be able to kind of speak to your house through through like these different devices that are already in there, uh, and I think that is kind of what they're like long-term goal is going to be is to really become a part of your home outside of the different devices that they currently have in, in the house. I think what's happening too in the home is we're starting to see it transform into a platform war. It's not as much an appliance war, right? Yeah. All of these appliances embed Alexa, all of them embed Google assistant. Apple is slowly catching up. We saw them integrate Siri into a couple more uh, smart home devices, but Ultimately, it will be those platforms that are consolidating behavior and driving consumer actions and expectations forward. I will say, too, though, that uh, it's interesting to look at the connected home and how it's consolidating into uh, the different platforms. Uh, we, The contrast of that is the wearables market, for example. If you look at wearables, wearables looks a lot like the connected home did three years ago with a bunch of different devices that all operate independently. And there hasn't been any consolidation into platforms. We're starting to see that a bit. Um, but I think the next step in wearables, um, which is such a fragmented market on the show floor with all of these unique sensors that can measure very niche things, we'll start to see, I don't think quite a consolidation, but I think the service layer on top of it, like we've seen in the connected home where uh, your oven can tell what you're cooking and it will give you actionable insight on what to do. Uh, the same thing with wearables where a heart sensor, for example, will be able to tell you not just read your EKG, but tell you that you should go to the doctor and actually connect to a telehealth provider, for example. Yeah. And I think the platform aggregation of those devices is going to be important because 
you know, we have companies like Apple and Amazon entering the health market, um, as well as obviously existing providers coming in and expanding their sort of digital offerings. But at the end of the day, uh, you're probably just like in the home, you're probably not going to have all of your health sensors be manufactured by the same company. So you do need something, some piece of some glue that's going to take all of that data. And, uh, you know, in the short term, it's really just collecting it and giving you and your doctor, hopefully your doctor, one place to look at it. But in the future, it's going to be about um, real time communication with your doctor, uh, as well as uh, hopefully at some point, some AI and um, sort of uh, coaching and advice about what you should do with these, uh, all of this data that you're gathering about your body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Angel, so I, w- I want to direct this question at you. Um, like looking at Yuka Park in the Sands, that's that's where you live from like this partnership perspective. How was the start of Vive and Scene uh, here at CES 2019? Oh, Eureka Park? What a world. <laughs> what a world over the last three years, how much it has changed. So unlike the Sands where it's broken out to like smart home section, wearables, fitness tech, etc., Downstairs is more focused on countries. So you had France, you had Singapore, yeah, Great fr- Britain. France showed up North in a big way Island, today. So on and so forth. But there was two big things I've seen. One, more money going into booth layouts. It was a lot nicer downstairs than it was last year. So you saw French tech actually take up maybe a fourth or a third of entire Eureka Park. It, they've grown so much where it's not only French tech companies, but they broke it out, they broke it out by regions. And one other theme that I saw was corporate ventures. So upstairs in the sands, you saw P&G. They, had, they showcased three new products. They had P&G Ventures. But downstairs at Eureka Park, you saw Canon. Canon was showcasing startups that they invested in or are using their technology. You saw the French Post Office, and you saw Samsung C-Labs. And those were three brands that were showcasing how they're looking to future-proof their business or generate new sources of revenue, but also have a bigger presence and a nicer presence. So do you think for like a, a, a larger corporation, like due to this like rapid pace of innovation and how it's continuing to just like increase, um, learning how to work with startups, is that going to become a more you know, necessary skill for them to stay relevant moving, like, move, moving forward? I think so. And I think it's a similar trend and um, Christina brought up earlier. It's like, how can you not only sell a product, but how can you add services? So bundling something that that brand is always top of mind. What's interesting about all these corporate innovation, uh, act, all of this corporate innovation activity we saw this year, Angel, I totally agree with you that it was pretty impressive to see how many of those, you know, you see Canon's booth in the LVCC, but it was so interesting to see them um, down in Eureka Park. And I think they will build a lot of credit and get a lot of credit for that. Um, but I think what it highlights is it, it it is very hard to operate as an innovator and as a large corporation. And I think what this year show told us and showed us was um, there is a range of risk and investment that you can take to innovation. Mm-hmm. Everything from putting a logo on a startup's booth with pretty low touch, low investment, low risk, Um, all the way up to either developing in-house with an incubator products that you actually take to market uh, or startups that you invest in and actually take to market. Uh, So there's kind of a range of, you don't necessarily need to go to market with a product. I think that is a common misconception that we talk to a lot of our clients about that uh, it's, it's scary to do that and take on that risk, but there are different flavors and ways to do that that still signal intent to innovate and still gain that trust with consumers as an innovator in the space. Yeah, and to add to that, 
Indiegogo was downstairs as well in uh, Eureka Park. And P&G, to introduce their DS3 product, which is the fabric-based laundry detergent, they actually put it on Indiegogo to raise money before taking it to market. So it's all like, working together to your earlier point. Yeah, they've been doing actually some pretty interesting stuff in the space too. I saw an execution last year with Coca-Cola and I believe they did something with BMW too. So I think that's a great point and another way that companies can kind of innovate and stay ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So Adam, notably, Amazon and Google are always here, but Apple still really hasn't had a large president at CES outside of their lovely privacy ad that we can actually see from our Westgate window here. Um, I'm just curious to know from your standpoint, like, do you think this is some, like something that, that we're going to see soon from Apple to show up and kind of take part of this like home platform war when it comes to voice assistance? Or are they just going to be uh, you know, doing themselves? So Apple has never, ever had a presence, official presence at CES, uh, even, you know, back in the days when they used to go to other trade shows and not just do their own events. They used to participate in Macworld, which sometimes overlapped with CES. And there was um, actually uh, more than one occasion where uh, Apple would steal the news cycle from CES by announcing something at Macworld that was, uh, you know, more impressive and, uh, of course, usually shipping almost immediately, unlike a lot of the things that we see on the CES floor, which sometimes are shipping later in the year. Um, so I wouldn't expect that there to see an official Apple presence, but I do think that, uh, we, we did see, you know, for the past few years, we haven't actually seen any activity from Apple around this time of year. And this year that changed a little bit. Um, there is the privacy focused out of home ad that went up, uh, right before CES started sort of implying it, it, I forget exactly how it's phrased, but it's basically saying what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, just like the classic tagline about Vegas. <laughs> I literally, I just, I just got that right now. Uh, <laughs> I've been looking at that. I've been looking at that all week, and I, I just got that now. Um, so you're learning something new every day. You've been busy this week. Yes, we have been busy. I think, but I think the other thing, the other announcement that stole some of the uh, attention uh, right before the show was Apple announcing AirPlay uh, integration for a number of TV manufacturers, as well as an actual iTunes app on Samsung TVs. I've been saying all week that if if iTunes on uh, Samsung TVs was on your CES bingo card, you automatically win because who would have expected that? That was really not exactly how anybody thought that Apple's increasing distribution of their TV platform would would go. So you know there was a lot of attention around that, right? rightfully so it's kind of a big move it's a change in strategy for apple but to your to your question around the the sort of home space and and home kit and siri um you know there there are there are companies that have HomeKit logos in their booths. Um, there are some people talking about it, but uh, it's it's much smaller than Alexa and Google, where we see uh, a serious marketing push at CES. You know, Google uh, has a roller coaster, and they've again wrapped the entire monorail at uh, Vegas. Uh, and uh, you know, Amazon has booths in pretty much every hall at CES, focusing on different things. They were handing out bananas. Amazon was handing out bananas. How do you beat that? They, <laughs> and they were delicious. So I think I, I wouldn't expect that kind of uh, that kind of participation from uh, right. by Apple in the future. But I do think that um, you know co marketing, spending co marketing marketing dollars, throwing some some money at a lot of these companies that are integrating with their technologies, just to make sure that that everybody knows that that is happening. I don't. I think that would actually be money well spent because I don't even, you know, and there's some debate as to whether, you know, how important CES is in terms of like shaping, you know, consumer mindset around these things. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of consumers are seeing Google Assistant and Alexa branding everywhere on every kind of product. And they're not seeing as much with HomeKit. And honestly, I 
had a personal experience over, over the holiday break of people just not knowing what HomeKit is and not knowing that HomeKit means it works with Siri. And, you know, Siri has its own branding problems. But um, at least if you knew it worked with Siri, that makes a little more sense. I, I think they've done not a great job of educating consumers in general around their home platform and around the, how it works with Siri. Um, so, you know, whether that happens at CES or happens somewhere else, I do think that that should be a priority for them in 2019. And I, it's just, I'm just not confident it will be. Right. And one thing I do want to bring up is the advertising around CES. So to your earlier point, you have Apple's big advertisement. BMW had a huge outdoor advertisement google had a complex basically out in in front of the north hall i feel like every year i'm just seeing more and more advertisements around ces is that just me or are you guys seeing the similar thing yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, they know there are 180,000 people coming here and probably even more than that, because I know there are other events that happen around CES in the periphery of mm-hmm. Vegas also. So there's, you know, 200,000 people coming here to uh, talk about technology. So if you're at all related to that and want to get their attention, it's uh, I'm sure it's expensive, but it, it's a way to do it. My observation of the show floor this year was that it was a bit less crowded this year on the floor itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I think a lot of the people that I know were coming here didn't have badges, but were in those hospitality suites, for example. And I think there's been a big uptick in that in recent years. And I think advertising follows that, right? Yeah, I think we'll see if this turns into a trend. But it does seem like CES is, this has been true of South by Southwest for years, where lots of people go to Austin during Mm -hmm. South by Southwest, but don't actually go to any of the conference. Uh, It will be interesting to see if CES is turning into that. I definitely think that Regardless of if they had badges or not, people were spending less time on the show floor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, I would love to invite our LATAM folks, our ambassadors from the Miami office to come in and kind of give us some perspective on CES from their viewpoint on how it really impacts their market. So thank you. With us behind the mic now, first timers on floor nine, we have Santiago. Hey, guys. Felipe. Hola. And Floor. Hola. These are our LATAM ambassadors uh, with, with the IPG Media Lab, and uh, we're happy to have you guys uh, with us at the lab, but also here at CES to really give us an inside look on uh, kind of how you viewed the show and its impact on your uh, you know regional market. So um, I'll start off with the same question that I asked Adam and Christina. You know, I guess, what trends did you guys see this year at CES that you think are going to be really impactful um, for, for your market in 2019? So the, the first thing that we saw is no Latino presence in Eureka Park. So once we hit Eureka Park, you you are faced with the French pavilion. It's huge. It's like a 25% of all of it. It's just French. And then you move into the Swiss uh, booths. Then you go into Korea. And we were all thinking like, oh, wait until we get to Brazil and Mexico. They're going to be so colorful and nice. And they were just absent from the whole event. Some Latino people walking around the floor, but we didn't see much innovation on that side. It might be because we're all on holidays until February and nobody is just doing much work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It puts you into a perspective where you realize that Latin American region is still far from being a leading region in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. And it might be because of many different aspects, um, especially economy and politics. But it would be nice to see in the following years if the region is able to put itself in front of at least a couple of technology innovations. 
Yeah, and I, I think for us, it, like the mindset that we had throughout the whole event was um, obviously looking at this amazing technology um, and how it was going to impact the lives of people right now in, in some places and how is this going to uh, be useful or when is it going to get to Latin America? So I think those were like uh, the main questions that we were asking throughout the, the entire event. Right. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm really interested to know, you have a lot of cards on your end down there. You have a lot of talking points. Um, so just like, what's, give me a, give me a topic off one of those cards and then I'll ask a question about it. Sure. Sure. So we, we just wrote a piece about uh, the Latin American market nuances because pretty much after CES, everybody in our side ask, ask us, us, when is this going to hit our market? And there are um, some things to take into account. For example, the, the landing of 5G. So you guys were just talking about uh, the unfulfilled promise and the real reality of 5G. Right. And we know that we're going to hit that between mid-2020s. So yep. by the time that huge Uber and Bell Corporation uh, helicopter, drone, personal transporter hits the roads or the skies... We're just going to have a 5G landing in our market. So that's going to stop some of the innovation to reach us uh, right away. But I'm, I'm sure that we're going to get some sort of uh, 5G branded uh, networks like 5G Lite, uh, 5G 4.8G or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be mostly an advertising stunt and not really five, fifth generation networks. Yeah. Going to the point that Felipe was saying that when is this technology going to reach the region, the feeling is that when we're able to see everything that we've seen this year deployed in Latin America, it's going to be old already. We'll be here at CES looking at something else mm -hmm. um, because we're always three steps behind. It's the US, it's Europe, and then it's Latin America. Um, so it's awesome to see what's going to happen in the future, but then the real application into the market, especially in terms of media, it's hard because you know that it's coming, but you kind of roll it out into the re the day to day reality. Right. Yeah. So then, so I, I guess then for our our listeners, then like thinking about you know like you know as like like global advertisers, like you know I guess what are some trends that you're seeing that you know might be impactful in your market today that may have already been something that we had covered, you know, three years ago from like a U.S. perspective. Yeah, for, for sure, the, the use of assistance. Uh, I okay. think that you guys here are reaching peak assistant because you have moved from the intelligent speakers or connected speakers, and now you're connecting the rest of the hardware at home, like the regular things like uh, smoke detectors, microwaves, and everything is infused with either Alexa or the Google Home Assistant. And uh, in the Latino market, we're mostly going to get faced, faced with assistance via our phones. And that's going to be the, the landing path for assistance, which are barely speaking Spanish uh, by the moment. So the Google, Google Assistant is speaking Spanish. Alexa is completely, it hasn't taken its classes yet. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I think that we're, we're going to be exposed through our phones and that's going to drive uh, hardware adoption adoption later on because in the latino market we adopt pretty quickly everything that is software-based cloud-based because it doesn't have any infrastructure costs 
So the, the problem for us is the infrastructure and the hardware. It takes uh, a lot of investment, a heavy legacy building uh, infrastructure, and also because we want everything for free and everything cheap, <laughs> which comes with some privacy concerns as well. Right. I think also the, it's important there uh, in terms of, of the uh, voice assistants or, or connected homes. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how in LATAM, because uh, devices like the Echo or the Google Assistant uh, basically are just purchased by people who go overseas, bring them back just as a novelty, but it's not something that's uh, at all massified in the region. So it could be interesting to see if we jump from, you know, just using voice uh, assistance in your phone to uh, much more complex appliances in the future, you know, and, and just avoiding that uh, the echoes or, or the Google assistance, but rather, you know, when this all connected appliances like refrigerators, microwaves, etc., cetera, uh, hit the region on a massive uh, scale. Yeah. One more point on this topic is that because of how Google and Amazon are deploying their businesses in the region, right now it's Google's monopolizing all of the markets. Like Amazon has only had activity in the last couple of years in Mexico, and okay. now they're starting in Brazil and Colombia. But because of national regulations and other um, barriers that they're facing when they're trying to deploy their business in Latin America markets, they haven't had a lot of penetration. So right now, it's almost 100% Google assistance because you have it in your Androids. Androids has have like a 70% penetration in Latin America. So we also see that it's going to be hard for Amazon or even Apple to win market in Latin America because Google has such a big presence. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, have an overhand. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, is, and, and, and do you think that's just due because of, for example, like the cost that comes with the different devices? Like, as we know, Apple is priced at a much mm -hmm. higher level than an Android device. Yeah, and it has to do with price and it has to do with the availability of products. Um, in Argentina, for example... Apple had importation restrictions for a lot of years. So mm -hmm. you couldn't just buy an Apple phone. You had to go abroad and then bring it back, which meant that only privileged people were able to, to do so. Right. Um, so it's not going to be like in the U.S. where you can go and choose. You have the freedom to choose which kind of assistant you're going to use. I think in Latin America, it's going to be more what I have in hand, what I have available, or what I already have, and I'm not going to put an extra expense on that, trying to change the system that I'm already using. Yeah. Right. So that certainly gives them an advantage, but no leniency to just sleep it out and, and wait it out. I think that if they spend too much time waiting to launch in Latin America, they, they can get their lunch eaten by any other players that yeah. could be speeding up. Right. That makes sense. So... For you guys, you know, this was some of your first time CES, second time CES. Show floor. What was the first thing that you're, not the first thing, but what was your favorite thing that you saw on the show floor? Can I, I'll, I'll go first. And, um, <laughs> no, no, no. I think it was, it was very cool. It wasn't like, uh, you know, like the um, um, helicopter drone thing that, that we saw on the, on the floor. But I, I went to a panel that was focused on kids and play, and I thought it was it, it had a lot of interesting um, um, toys going towards the future that are very focused on 
uh, getting kids excited about science and math and electronics, engineering, uh, technology in general. Yeah. So I think that's a very cool way to entice kids to play with with toys that are going to be uh, that will help them develop, you know, um, mm. yeah, the STEM all in, of- in a lot of ways. So I think that was that was super cool. Uh, there was a lot of toys that are based on coding. So it starts very simple, a couple of commands, and then you, the hardware, the robot, whatever, will will do as as the kids um, teach them. So I think it's it. I think it was very cool, and I think it applies right now for Latin America and for the rest of the world. So I think that's a, a very great way yeah. to see something that's going to be globalized, and and that fortunately for Latin America, it can start now as well. Right. What, what about the baby tech? You're a father. <laughs> you can empathize with that because there, there were some. Some devices and gadgets there over there that can really freak you out as a parent, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw I saw a couple that I for sure I wouldn't I I personally wouldn't use, uh, but they were cool, you know, for people that want to monitor absolutely everything that has to do with either the pregnancy or the first months of the kid's uh, life. Uh, I think they're super useful. If if for example, there was one, I think it was a sock that monitors the baby rate, the the heart rate, and yep. and stuff like that. So. If yeah, if there's a baby that has you know is sick or whatever, then maybe that that's something that would be super useful. And and I mean those kinds of 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 things are are yeah. nice to see. Obviously. Yeah, and I think I mean I think what you guys are touching on is really is like the trend that we kind of saw about the like the uh, consumerization of healthcare. We're getting more and more of these devices that can be powered off our smartphone, uh, attached to a smartphone, and we can take all this information at home and collect that information, whether it's internal or external information about your body and your health uh, and where we're going now with it is that we just need it to be analyzed so now we have, we have all the inputs now we need somebody to actually go ahead and analyze it and i think as we mentioned previously that's going to be uh like this next wave of okay now that we have this information what do we do with it and how do we how do we implement it to make it more actionable and so i think you know across all of the sands especially we saw a lot of that and that was interesting too that we, we, i think we saw the first ever uh ultrasound device that that runs it's a handheld ultrasound device that runs yeah. off a smartphone under starting for two thousand dollars which is just a, a great example of how uh, a machine that you once had to push around on a cart can now be shrunk down to pretty much a handheld smartphone uh, application. So that's pretty incredible to see. And yeah, also- I heard somebody say a phrase that stuck into my mind. It was democratization of healthcare. Uh, the fact that healthcare, it's so expensive in so many parts of the world that these do-it-yourself healthcare devices allow people to have better access or faster access to a lot of things that they couldn't do it because of the cost of healthcare. And related to that, my favorite thing was elderly care. I love seeing how technology and innovation is applied to making people's lives better. Um, I mean, I love all the drones and the the, the yachts and the yachts and and everything. But I personally love when all of this intelligence, innovation, and technology um, is utilized to to make people's lives better. Um, right. I saw one device that transformed air into water in one of the tours that we did. The and, water jenny. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, using that in developing countries where they don't have access to drinkable water, I think it's it's genius. It's a way of, of using this technology and this corporation power uh, into making our our lives better so that was my favorite part of 
of CES. Yes, awesome. And then, Philippe, we'll, we'll end it with you. Um, what was your favorite thing you saw on the show floor? Or on your note card, whatever you got over there. I really, I really love what you wrote down. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're doing a uh, video special for our market that is going to be called uh, Innovation Tinder or Gadget Tinder, in which oh. we're going to just swipe left and right all of these gadgets because there, there was hundreds of cool things to, to look around. So one of the things that I, I kept in mind uh, are the 10-second toothbrush. That sounded really good in the French pavilion. Not, I'm uh, pretty skeptical about it, but it's a toothbrush that in just 10 seconds gives you a complete cleaning experience, immersive experience <laughs> probably. Um, but uh, Tesla suite, uh, suit, uh, I like a lot the Tesla suit. It's a heptic suit that you just put on and it vibrates all of your body and you can have a more immersive VR experience uh, with, uh, of course, a headset on so you can feel it in your body also. And there were some innovations about controlling the sickness or that uh, AR and VR experiences generate. Mm -hmm. So it, it's something to do with sending signals to your eardrum so you don't get sick right away because that has been one of the the challenges uh, for VR adoption. You know, after ten minutes, you just want to throw up. Um, yeah, it makes it makes it a bit difficult to uh, enjoy an experience like that. And yeah, it's not that immersive. It's more <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> yeah. uh, so airbags, personal airbags. Uh, that, that's oh, a cool yeah. concept. Uh, Flor was talking about uh, taking care of the elderly. So we have a, a an airbag for elderly people. So they detect that if you're going to fall. So no, normally when the old uh, person, in in this case, this personal airbag for elderly people detects when you're going to fall or when you are in, in your way, on your way down and inflates right away so it can protect all of your bones. sensible arthritic bones. <laughs> uh, the hip safe. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the product's called the hip safe. Uh, <laughs> it's, hip it's, safe. Yeah, yeah, this is... Pretty good, pretty good. And yeah. a bunch of uh, technology for taking care of the elderly, which was really good. And uh, some, for example, a light post or, or a light uh, bar that just lights up your house, but also has a camera, it's always looking at you, and it's always detecting if uh, people are falling down. Some uh, glasses that you can put on and detect uh, with fall detection also. So uh, there's a lot of uh, inventive uh, innovations to take care of the elderly, mm -hmm. which are, are pretty, pretty good. Awesome. Um, well, with that, do you guys have any uh, last-minute things to talk about? Say um, any other trends yeah. that you thought were really interesting for from like a, a global perspective when it comes to your markets that our brand should be thinking about? Yeah, some things that we missed. Uh, I think uh, we we were missing a lot of things uh, that uh, apply to us. For example, privacy. I think that the privacy discussion really heated up in the last four months with the tech backlash, and we didn't see much of it. Uh, it was like. Outside of Apple, <laughs> yeah. Outside of Apple's one yeah, one advertisement, of Apple just yep. trolling everybody. They just uh, swept it out under the rug. Uh, we didn't see much things about uh, time well spent online. Uh, I think that that's an issue. We spend so much time with our devices. We just saw one device that really caught my my attention is that thermal meditation glasses. There are some glasses that you just put on, and uh, they counter. They counterattack or they counter the effect of being on your screen for 10 hours a day. That sounded really, really good, but we are missing more things that make us, makes us, or make us um, 
use our time really right in right online. yeah i agree though no, there was yeah. definitely a conversation about you know screen time and like in a sense like i said time well spent understanding how to educate um not only ourselves but like our children on you know how to manage their time like effectively to make sure that they aren't just going down a a, a digital wormhole um yeah. The one product I saw was called the Tech Den. It was pretty much a toaster for your iPad, and it, and, it, and it locked it up so that way you know parents could like take their their uh, kids' iPads and you know like lock them up for an hour, two hours, whatever it is, and force them no to go outside and play. Yeah, you. no screen yeah. time. So, That's great. Um, great. Well, awesome. Well, uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us at CES this year and hopping on floor nine. It's this has been fantastic. We're looking forward to having you come back more often. And with that, if you like what you hear, share, tell a friend, uh, whatever you can do. We greatly appreciate it. So, talk soon.